Hello and welcome to this, the 21st episode in this second series of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I am a 21-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And this second series is brought to you thanks to the generous support of the Arts Council of Ireland. And it's because of that generous support that we can bring you these conversations absolutely free of charge each week. We have promised that we won't ever charge for this podcast, but we are looking for you to go and put your money into Irish theatre. The whole ethos behind this podcast is to support, promote and celebrate all that's great about Irish theatre. And as we tell you each week, the simplest way to go and do that, to go and support Irish theatre, is to go and buy yourself some tickets to a theatre show happening near you soon simple direct straightforward put your money where your mouth is put your money into irish theater and you know what if tickets are slightly outside your reach this week or this month go and check out one of the crowdsourcing websites the fundit.ies of the world the indiegogos the kickstarters whatever it is go and see if you can find a theater project over there that you'd like to support donations often start from as low as a fiver and there are always great rewards in return but of course there are ways you can support without even having to put your hand in your pocket go and tell people about this podcast if you would that's a huge help for us you can do that in person over a cup of coffee over a pint maybe uh, you can of course share the link as a facebook post retweet the link on twitter whatever you can do to help get the word out about the podcast helps us get the word out about irish theater do please go and subscribe to the podcast over on itunes that really helps us in terms of chart positioning and for those of you not uh using apple and itunes those of you on the old android these are of course streamable and available for direct download over at riseproductions.ie do go back and listen to all the other episodes in this second series and indeed the full 52 episodes from series one there's some great listens there uh, leave us a review if you can over on itunes if you would or you can simply click to rate us on their five star rating system and as ever you can follow us on facebook we are facebook.com forward slash rise productions ireland or you can follow us on twitter we are at rise ireland and it's been another busy week here at rise towers we have started we have kicked off we are now on the road with the 2018 production of Christian O'Reilly's award-winning play The Good Father. We opened last night, as it happens, in the Drihad Arts Centre in Drogheda, home of the most comfortable theatre seats on the island of Ireland, I have to say. If you're an audience member getting to go into Drihad, you're in for a comfortable night, if nothing else. Um, and it was fantastic to see the show properly up in front of a real-life audience. We'd brought a couple of pals into the rehearsal room in the final few days of rehearsal just to try and gauge some of the laughs and get a feel for it. But to get it out there in front of a real audience of uh, of paying people uh, who were out for a night out to come and see the show was magical. It's great to see how the show has evolved, how the new cast are putting their slant on it between Marie Ruan and Dan Monaghan. They're, they're doing a spectacular job on this show. I'm so delighted with the performances they're giving them. And then the shape the show's in, it's, it's really, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of theatre, an incredible piece of writing from Christian. And uh, I feel genuinely, I feel actually really quite lucky to have got the chance to direct it. Um, as I've mentioned a number of times before I was waiting nearly 15 years to get my hands on this play and now that I finally got it it feels really really good to be out there doing it Uh, so we hope you can join us on the road we are on the road between now and June would you believe March to June it's a hell of a tour we have 14 different venues north and south of the border we're coming to all corners of the country wherever you are we are coming near you so if you can do please come and join us on the road it'll be great to see you there and so that brings us to our guest this week 
who is none other than the brilliant Ian Toner. Ian is a guy who I first met when he was still at the Gaiety School of Acting. You'll hear us discuss this uh, in the middle of the conversation when I came in to kind of mentor him and, and help develop a piece for the Manifesto program. And instantaneously, the guy massively impressed me. Um, just such a hard worker, such a diligent guy, such a creative guy, um, and just a sound fella as well at the back of it all, which really helps. Um, he's a wonderful dude. I've had such a great time working with him. He did came and did some of the short audio dramas with us back in the day. He also, of course, um, came in to do At The Ford with us for the Dublin Theatre Festival a couple of years ago. Uh, I love having him working with Rise. I would work with him every time if I could. So let's get straight into this. Here he is, the brilliant Ian Toner. The wonderful Ian Toner. How are you, my friend? I'm very good, thanks. Um, I'm delighted to have you on here. You're my pal. Yeah, it's good uh, to be here. Tell me... I listened to all these the first time around as well, so it's quite cool. And then you got to be too big a star second time around and couldn't bother your arse to listen to any of the new ones, is that it? You yeah, a hot I'm, shot now? I'm, I'm catching up. <laughs> I'm catching up. Um, but they're a really good resource, I think, for like drama students. I listen to them in drama school and stuff, and they're very good, you know, great for... Are you honestly just, opening with a compliment to me? Yeah. Don't. First and last. <laughs> Asshole. Um, I'm glad you like them. We'll be talking about that in a minute. Take me back to the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you decide that this might be a line of work for you? Yeah, I don't know if I have a particularly interesting Genesis story. Cool. Um, well, listen, thanks for joining us this week. <laughs> uh, well, when I was about five or six, I was sent by my parents to speech and drama and stuff, and I did it all throughout school. I think I must have been able to speak the loudest or something because I got casting the lead in the Pied Piper and all like, that. That's literally that. the sole qualification that Emer O'Kelly needs for a good review. <laughs> <laughs> I could hear him. <laughs> and I that's could it, see that's him. all you need, man. Yeah, um, so that was where I learned that. Uh, and then I did it throughout school. It was just sort of always something, because I, was like, I wasn't very academic or athletic or anything else. I kind of had, it was always something that was there that I was kind of good at. Came and, quite naturally, I suppose. I didn't realise it. And school like, that you were doing lots of plays all the time? No, we didn't do school. Uh, so I did uh, youth theatre with Paul Cullen in Capitilli. Okay. He's still there from like 6 to 18. Okay. And then um, went to UCD. There wouldn't have been a lot of uh, drama or anything going on. I think at Panto once a year or whatever in, in okay. school. Um, and then went to UCD. After that, around 18 or 19, I was quite unsure what to do. And <clears throat> that was just uh, around that age, I thought I'd do drama stock for a few years, get my degree, go to drama school. It was around that time that I was... Deciding. And what were you studying? English. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how posh is studying English? Is that like is it loads of drama in it? Is it loads of because po- I don't it know. I didn't go to real college. Right. So it depends. Um, in UCD, the uh, it's sort of an American system where you can where you can pick just lots of different interests, or you can specialize. I guess where okay. you, you do a lot of different modules, so you can do a lot of uh, drama stuff. I did do a lot of drama stuff in English, like classes like. The plays of Frank McGuinness or the plays of Brian Friel or no, Frank McGuinness was teaching the Brian I was gonna say, plays. I think. Frank but was Frank McGuinness teaching the Frank yeah, McGuinness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he did come in to our Frank McGuinness class. No, he wasn't teaching the Frank McGuinness. Because that would be fucking amazing. <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be like being John Malkovich, where Frank <laughs> McGuinness takes you inside his own head. Um, he did come in to talk to us once, and he's a he's a he's a big presence. He certainly is. Yeah. Um, so you could do play stuff like that, and a lot of the time I was writing essays about plays that I had done in Dramsock. Okay. Which made getting through that degree probably a lot easier. <laughs> and that's why I got a 2-1. You got because a 2-1 in English from UCD? Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I think I got a first in my last year, actually. But I did less plays in my last year because I was trying to get... <clears throat> but, you know, yeah, Dramsock, everybody that, that does it spends all their time there. That's what, you know, 
especially if you have it in the back of your mind to go on and do it professionally. Because the opportunity there, we did like, as 20 year olds, Finbar Doyle and me and a few others did um, Glengarry Glen Ross as 20 year olds in Jamstack, you know? Why wouldn't you? Yeah, because you have the audacity, of course you're going to do it. And somebody gives you 400 quid to put on a production of Glengarry Glen Ross and you do it because why wouldn't you? Three years of getting to basically, you can get your mates to put on a play and go, Yeah, I want to play this part. Uh, <laughs> so you have to produce it for me, like, <laughs> Yeah, you know. So, um, I mean, it doesn't quite work like that, I suppose, but um, you just the opportunity of that, of that sort of training ground, even though you're way too young for the parts or, or whatever, or you don't quite have the experience to play those sort of parts. Now, at that time, you were saying you were thinking, I will go and do a degree mm-hmm. so I can do drama sock, mm-hmm. so that will prep me for drama yeah. school. Was that like a clear route in your head of like those were the steps that you needed to go through? Pretty much, as far as I remember, yeah. And I think at the time I was thinking of going over to drama school in England and stuff. A lot of the UCD drama sock folks say that. Like, that's the thing that you go and you do the drama sock and then you fuck yeah, off to London. Yeah, right? yeah, there was, there was definitely a culture of that. Yeah. But um, it was good to be surrounded by people who were doing that same thing as well then, because you kind of audition prep for your drama skills together yeah. and stuff like that. And Yeah. But that doesn't sound like, um, it doesn't sound like I really want to go to drama school in real life, but my parents made me have to do a degree. It feels more like a very concrete plan of this is a proper mm-hmm. progression that we move through these steps to then you're ready to go and do it. Yeah. I think strangely, for some reason, I realized that at 18 or 19, really? I wasn't quite mature enough to, to oh, do well. drama school. Um, I don't know. I don't know where that's because I look back on it and I was definitely right. <laughs> I, you know, I, yeah. I definitely needed. Dram school is quite all-consuming as well, so you don't get that experience of what well, sort of going out in the piss and doing things that you kissing girls and things stuff that you kind of need to get out of your system while you're in college. Yeah. Um, but it's not for everybody. Obviously, obviously, you know, some people go to dram school at eighteen, works out brilliantly, amazing. But it wouldn't have been for me. Yeah. I again, <clears throat> I said this a couple of times. I. Now, looking back on it, mm. I wish I hadn't gone straight from school into drama school. Mm. But if I hadn't, I would have just kept working anyway. And so yeah. I never would have done drama school. Yeah. And I really wanted to do it. But I do think the idea of going into drama school at 23 or 24 versus 18 yeah. is a seismic fucking difference. Very big difference. But it does depend on the person, I think. Yeah. Um, um, talk to me then about finishing up in drama sock and choosing not to go to London and choosing to go to the Gaiety School of Acting. I had intended, as far as I remember, to do UCD, then to take a year where I would like, work and maybe save money and just focus on preparing for those auditions, yeah. which is an incredible amount of pressure. You know, those auditions are like 15 minutes or something for drama schools, and they, you know, they, they come around once a year. Yeah. I don't actually know how people do them and, and get into RADA and stuff. I, I don't understand. I don't understand what RADA are looking for. I don't understand what those actors are doing in their auditions to get in I don't understand what those 18 year olds that you hear about who haven't acted before yeah. are doing to get into RADA and those places when there's thousands of people um, yeah. competing for those places but I think um, at the end of uh, at the end of my third year in college I decided well I'm going to go I'm going to do auditions for all the schools for experience I know I'm probably not going to get it this year I might need to try again okay um, and then I auditioned for uh, a lot of places I think I got one or two callbacks but no, nothing substantial but then I got offered the place in the gaiety and I think when, once you get offered a place well it's kind of hard to turn it down because it is what you want to do and you know if it's right I got offered it it felt right to do it Yeah. Um, it was a two year course was what, what I wanted to do I was 22 23 22 I think um, and I had done three years of doing a lot of plays and, and stuff like that so I had a good bit of felt I had a bit of experience well you did um, I mean, yeah, yeah, for someone of that, yeah, that age that age you do yeah um, 
yeah, so that that was kind of how that came about. How yeah. was your experience there? Did you like it? Yeah, it was brilliant. I, I mean, I had the best. I had just a great two years of, of my life. You had a good gang around yeah. you, though, too. Really good. Our I, class is incredibly good. Yeah, like I kind of talk about this sometimes that you get those those vintage years, um, famously my gang, but also yeah. like your gang of so it's you, Kate Gilmore, Rex Ryan, yeah, Katie McCann, yeah, Ash, yeah, uh, like loads a of heads. huge number of like people who are working now yeah. a lot. Um, incredible men's talent in that year. And I think a few people who are um, working, doing a lot of fringe stuff now that in kind of five years you'd be looking at. And I, I think in five or ten years you'd be looking at that year going, I can't believe they're all in a yeah. year together. But it happens. And I, th- I think it's not um, it's not like a phenomenon that or a coincidence that happens. All I think, I don't know if competitiveness is the right word, but there's, there's some, sort of, some sort of atmosphere that happens in drama school, just being around people all the time. Uh, you absorb some of their superpowers or something. It's true, isn't it? Know. Yeah, yeah. But you're in a... Like, if you, I go into a singing class and, like, Kate's singing, yeah. I'm like, shit, I need to get better at this. <laughs> or, you know, like, doing movement class and Connell Keating's in there and he doesn't have any bones and he's moving around <laughs> like Buster Keaton. And you're like, shit, I, yeah, <laughs> I, need, to, I need to get better. Yeah. Uh, and then... And, uh, and, and because there's a huge part of uh, the gaiety that's writing as well. Some people were good at writing. I had... I don't know if I'd done any writing before, but I'd done an English degree at least. So I had done some devising, I think, while I was in drama school. So I had some experience of that and stuff. And other people were terrified of writing. And so you just have that that atmosphere that just really helps, I think. When were you taking stuff to Edinburgh? Was that still when you were in... That was in 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 2010. Yeah, I did a show called The Ladder and the Moon, which we devised. It was sort of a a kid's show, but it was like a a theatre for all ages. But we didn't really know. So it was quite a good show I think one reviewer said it felt like a series of, of drama school exercises or something <laughs> uh, like all the scenes were sort of vign- vign- vignettes vignettes, vignettes um, that were slightly disconnected and that was probably a fair enough review looking <laughs> back on it but it, like I'm not you know it wasn't it was it was good um, I thought um, but uh, yeah about six people saw it and we didn't know it we didn't know anything but it mean amazing to go over there and try and market a show and to see so many shows if you go over there I saw like two shows a day or something for yeah. a month it was crazy just saw so much stuff some really good stuff some really bad stuff it's the first place Corn Exchange um, <clears throat> Freefall oh yeah which was one of my favourite shows that I've ever seen still to this day and there's some just amazing stuff going on over there at that time yeah, um, yeah. that's kind of deadly yeah. um, you talk about writing in the gaiety. We first crossed paths during yeah. Manifesto there. And kind of anyone who's come through the gaiety in the last, whatever, five or ten years and who I've had on here, they all yeah. talk about Manifesto yeah. and how, how kind of fundamental it was. Not Just kind of how important part of the training process it was because it does that thing, I think, where it says you're not just an actor, you're not just an interpretive artist. You have a voice as an artist to get out there too. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair assessment of Manifesto? Yeah, I think... I, I, th- I think being an actor who doesn't write you're just making life it's, it makes life a lot harder I think it makes this it's like being an actor who doesn't act almost it's that you have to you have to write you know I think you have to write or you have to create you have to devise I think there's ways that everybody can do it even some people say that they're not writers that's fair enough but um, you just have to be able to be a creative artist as well as an interpretive artist I think um, and definitely that is that is essential to the the you know the ethos of that school at the time. I think it's changed a bit now, but yeah. um, but brilliant. And I mean, you start it and you go in. You don't know what manifesto class is, um, and you're told you need to write a piece. 
to present to the class in a week and that is really terrifying for a lot of people you know um bearing in mind how terrifying the thought of acting or public speaking is for most average punters then to actually go and write and create something yeah um so yeah, but uh, what was the original question? I can't remember. Did I answer? <laughs> well, no, we're t- just in general talking about manifesto <laughs> and just how how fundamental part of the training it was for you. Yeah. How much you feel it's shaped you as a as an artist? Yeah, hugely, hugely. Because I think it also gives you the mind of when you're even uh, when you are even uh, approaching a role as an actor that you have a writer's head on you as well, a dramaturgical head, um, which I think directors really appreciate. See, this is an interesting thing for me, right? Because as I so I've been doing a bit of writing over the last little while, um, and you know, obviously the collaborations with Gavin and stuff. But um, but moving more to that, but also with the, with the directing, that I don't know. Sometimes is it really useful to have that kind of that broader perspective that me with me directors ha- has now when I come to an acting gig, and so equally with you and the yeah. writing, or is it better to be one hundred percent focused on just my performance and I'll selfishly fight my corner for my mm. character and and be kind of you know really resolute and you know laser focused on one thing. Or is, is the kind of the broadness beneficial? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, d- surely understanding what it's like to be a director or a writer has to help you as an actor, I think. Um, um, it's, it's just, you, end up, you just end up being a bit sounder, don't you, during the rehearsal process? <laughs> and you kind of understand, you understand that directing is hard. Like I've done some directing before as well. And it's, it's hard, man. I don't yeah. really envy any directors that job. Well, that's, uh, the, only, um, like, the reason I had to start doing it is because I was starting to get obnoxious in rehearsal rooms I was starting yeah. to overstep boundaries yeah. as an actor and I was going no fuck I need a, a channel for yeah. this you know? I think it makes it easier to direct yeah. when you do understand that yeah. and you understand that you are um, part of a broader context and putting on a production um, I think that's really important I said to John Delaney when he asked me to come in to mentor you I said look if you're bringing me in don't give me a monkey. If you give me a monkey, I will be fucking furious. Because I, said, cause the thing, I think the, the commitment at my end was only something like four hours or eight hours or something. They said, look, yeah. that's all you need. I said, I can't come in and direct a play and, or mentor someone or like even collaborate with someone. Because I'd, I'd barely get to know someone that time. I said, yeah. look, if I'm doing this, I'm going all in. They go, yeah, but we don't have any money. I, said, I don't need money. If I'm, going, if I'm saying I'm doing it, I'm doing it. Just don't shaft me. Don't give me some monkey. Uh, and then I ended up with you. No, um, But no, what really impressed me about you was you stepped up every single day like you were always bringing a huge amount to the table like hugely creative and, and I think before we started narrowing it down we kind of started off with like eight different concepts of where we could go with mm. and then kind of knocked out four of those and kept four and knocked out two of those and kept two and knocked out one of those and ended up with what we started working on mm. but I was really impressed with how much creativity you were bringing how much kind of just content you were generating is that your style are you that prolific all the time no definitely not um I think uh, a lot of stuff that I've written that has turned into full-length plays that I either wrote on myself or collaborated on since then have come out of that time. There was like a lot, lot of stuff that has been presented as full-length productions that yeah. originally started as like five-minute pieces in manifesto. I think for whatever reason, well, I mean, you're just in that environment for two years. You're you're just being forced to produce um, ideas. Uh, I'm definitely not that, pr- that prolific all the time. Although I am trying to be more disciplined as a writer. Um, and spend a certain amount of time every day or every week yeah. doing it. But it's hard to do, you know. It's, it's always hard to do. What way does it work for you? Do you? Are you, like, walking down the street or sitting in the bath and a lightning strike of inspiration hits you and then you've got to go chase that? Or do you, like, is, or do you try and stay rigid and force it out of yourself? I will get an idea and, I suppose, lightning strike idea and then I'll spend hours or days, like, staring at a wall. Or sometimes I've 
say if I have an idea for a play, I might think this kind of reminds me of this movie and then I go and watch the movie or this book or something or try and draw on sources of inspiration of other stories and things and, and steal things from <laughs> various sources, I suppose is what I'm trying to say. Um, but it requires a long time of staring at a, 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 a blank screen or typing out ideas, trying to work out what the idea is for an awfully long time. And then once I have it, I write quite fast. Do you? Yeah. Do you do loads of drafts or do no. you revise as you go or what do you do? Uh, by the time I started a draft, I need to have a very clear idea where it's going. Okay. Otherwise, I can't start it. Yeah. Uh, so it will probably be like 80%. Like Animalia was probably like the first draft, 80% of what it ended up being. Okay. And there might have been a second or third draft, but they were incrementally smaller changes each time. Yeah. Um, they might have just gotten longer or something in the second draft, you know. Um, I'm not quite sure, but I don't think um, not making massive changes. You know, that first draft is almost there. What is the lightning strike for you? Is it a character? Is it a character's voice? Is it a scenario? Is it a, I'd like to write a play about homelessness or like what? Yeah, themes, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, if I come up with a story, um, I mean, it's hard to know how your brain works sometimes, I suppose. But if I come up with a story and I think um, that would allow me to spend a long period of time thinking about a theme that I'm interested in, that I want to think about and kind of work out for myself, I suppose then that's it. It's never really character, like the character and the setting and everything comes around that. If you look at Animalia, like Animalia was not a plot heavy play. It was about two strong characters, I think, and yeah. just what happened in their life over a few days. Um, but it was about the theme of social conditioning and where, and the idea that humans are pack animals yeah. and um, that we need to be part of something, part of a collective. That was kind of the idea. And that was what I was exploring. And what happens when you can't join in the pack or when you get rejected from it how did that play work out for you Toner? Um, it won a few awards did it did, yeah. it did it did it oh, why don't you tell us a bit about those <laughs> um, how long do you have no, um, <laughs> no it, it, won, it won the Fish Amity Writing Award there in the fringe a couple of years ago it got nominated for the Stuart Parker and then won the BBC Radio Northern Ireland and got nominated for the Beauty's Little Gem that's not a bad now, little run is it I know that off my heart not because I think about it all the time but because as an actor and a writer you have to write bios a lot <laughs> And obviously I include the awards. Um, do the awards <laughs> matter in terms of like, do they make other people sit up and pay attention or do they give you the confidence to go, shit, maybe I'm not absolutely chancing my arm here or are they just nice things to put on the well, mantelpiece? Yeah, they are just nice things. But I suppose I suppose in terms of the hustle of like, you always have to be applying, filling out forms. It is nice to have those things put down. It does make your your forms feel more substantial or something yeah. or, or it makes you feel less like you're chancing your arm yeah. when other people come along and validate you and you shouldn't be looking for that all the time but like w what we do is so fragile in, in a lot of ways you know that when somebody comes along and says actually I quite like this too um, especially somebody who I, I guess like Fish Amble or yeah. you know, people like that who, who you know know what they're talking about um, it is great yeah it's lovely um, talk to me about other stuff that you've written because it hasn't always been kind of fresh out of the top of your head you've done kind of adaptations as well or new versions of fairy tales I did a, yeah I did a version of the Snow Queen a couple of years ago that was on Smock and, the, the and it was called Frozen and it started Dina Menzel no, uh, no sorry that's a different one is it <laughs> it was slightly different from that it was uh, it was a version set in the future when the ice caps had melted and um, it was a sort of a mixture of hang on the Snow Queen when the ice has melted yeah. That's the wrong way around, Toner. So, 
So you made a fundamental <laughs> error there. I just I'll point that out. But listen, so the, the idea that. was that people have been treating the earth so badly, the Snow Queen had decided to stop making snow. Okay. Uh, so that was the idea. So it was a sort of a whole global warming thing. It was like a two-hour lecture for some kids about global warming. <laughs> Um, and they will sit there and they will take it <laughs> yeah um, and that was a lot of fun it was really good it was, it was a really good uh, project to work on how that, use- was, that was the first commission I got as well which was really nice how useful is it to have a framework like that as in like a, sorry, a reference text to bounce off yeah. even if you don't follow, slavishly follow it yeah again I mean I read the story and the story is a classic and stuff obviously but it's, it's very it's very strangely dated now it's very religious okay um, the lead the heroine at the end she saves the day because angels come down to help her save the day so it's, it's very connected to that and that wasn't really what I was interested in mm-hmm. um, so uh, that was quite useful yeah having that framework because it's like there's a scene that's sort of again that, that, that story is broken down into about seven chapters and there's a scene in it where she is confronted by some robbers in the forest so those turned into pirates because it was a watery world that sort of thing so yeah. you just change it to suit that world that you're and I think actually I was in that case walking down the streets and, get, and went, what if those robbers were pirates? What if the world was covered in water? What if the Snow Queen didn't stop making the snow? Interesting. So that was where the story came from. Um, talk to me about you as actor then, because mm-hmm. from my perspective, it looks like you've had a really nice run of work. Are you five years out of the gaiety now? Mm-hmm. So it looks like and if I was one of the rest of your gang mm-hmm. like another actor of your age your generation knocking around I'd be going yeah if I had Toner's career I'd be doing pretty well do you feel like it's going well for you? Um, yeah I think it's easier when you're looking at a career from the outside because you're not because you just look at oh that person's working again you only, you only see them when when I am working yeah you don't see them at home going please no, let the phone yeah, ring yeah and I've spent plenty of time doing that although I've been really yeah I have been really lucky um, and I've done some really really very cool stuff um, so yeah, it is. It is going great. I suppose, like everybody, you want to be working all the time. Yeah, you you've done quite a few big TV things. Yeah, how's that been? Uh, yeah, really, really interesting. Um, the f- I remember like the first gig that I did. I think it was the first thing that I got paid for out of the gaiety was um, doing Charlie that thing with Aidan Gillen and I was playing a French waiter who opened a bottle of champagne for him and I remember just like going on set and like just this absolute terror of dinging Aidan Gillen in the head with the champagne cork and that I, would have been fucking deadly <laughs> I remember practicing how to open champagne and stuff before going on that set Oh, that's the best research in the world just open a bottle, yeah, a bottle of champagne yeah. I love it I actually got uh, what's it called like books fizz from uh, Tesco because it's the same sort of bottle but it's like Three euro. <laughs> um, so financially sensible. It's good. Um, yeah. But uh, so, yeah, and because you come out of drama school, you don't know anything about that, about, about screen acting, really. Yeah. Um, it's just a totally, totally foreign concept. And I think you have this sense of reverence for it as well, mm. where you're like, oh, I don't know how to do this. This is like a whole, whole different thing. But I suppose it is like screen and stage acting, I, I think of it's a bit like being a musician who's playing two different instruments at the end of the day the, the goal is the same is yes. to make a good sound yeah. but, um, but it's a different technique um, um, yeah. but you've had you've had ones where like it's not been just popping in and out for a day popping bottles like you I mean things no, like yeah. Klondike uh, Red Water and yeah. stuff yeah yeah uh, yeah. Klondike's a really good series as well I actually watched some of it again recently and it was a really good series and for those who might be listening around the world that's Dominion Creek yeah as well yeah if they're just if they're so, googling yeah. things yeah um, called on Klondike here um, 
really good series and I finished after the second series which I think is a really big shame I mean I think that was an amazing thing to be made in Ireland um, really high quality really good actors very good scripts as well um, an amazing thing to be multilingual and they made it for so little money hmm. um, they made it for a few million quid and they made a, a it's a show for anybody that hasn't watched or heard of it it's a show about the uh, Klondike Valley in Canada during the gold rush in the late 1800s and these Irish emigrants go over and they all speak Irish to each other all the Irish characters there's a lot of Irish characters and then they speak English so it's multilingual they speak English to people who would speak English and it's mm. like realistic like that because I think sometimes you watch things that are like detective dramas set in Ireland and they're speaking Irish and there is a little bit of an element of huh? would these detectives <laughs> really be speaking Irish but this was uh, fitting with the story so that, I think that really worked for it um, but a really good show um, yeah and that was amazing I think that was the first substantial part I played because it was quite yeah, I, got, I got killed off in a duel which is kind of the goal where possible you, yeah, when, yeah where possible get killed off in a duel uh, I think when you start acting you're like I hope that someday I'll get to do a scene where I get killed off in a duel how, um, how was Redwater then and, 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 and I guess the broader question is like again when you're working on these film and TV things yeah. for longer stretches and building a character in that kind of more disjointed way than we'd be used to in yeah. theatre what, what's that experience like? Yeah I mean there's there's the wonderful thing with um, with uh, TV of you get a scene you read the script you go this is a really good scene this is going to be the, this is going to be the show real scene I mean you try not to think about it like that but you know you're like this <laughs> one of those scenes where you're like this is going to be a really good scene and um, and then you get one crack at it, you know. You, the day comes and you're like, you see the, you see it on the call sheet the next day, and then you get one crack at it. And there's a spontaneity to um, I think doing screen work that just isn't there. That's not possible with stage. Um, obviously, they're very different things. Um, but that spontaneity is lovely, and that that actually having if you have a good day, then that one one scene might be amazing. Yeah. And that spontaneity might be there and it might just surprise yourself and it might just be something that's captured on camera as well forever. Yeah. You know, it's there forever. Unlike the ethereal nature of theatre where it's gone yeah. when it's done, which is always a bit sad. You know, when you work on something that you think is really good <laughs> and then it's gone. But then, uh, again, that's also the magic of it, that people see it that night and it's done, you know. Speaking of really really good theatre shows that are done and then they're gone how was your experience on At The Ford from Rice Productions uh, yeah really good did you enjoy it yeah it was great tell uh, me about it <laughs> well it was me and you working together uh, in Gavin Costick's uh, Greek drama mixed with professional wrestling <laughs> slash UFC <laughs> match um, I was yeah I was starting to think about that recently it was mental which I, I love you know I love doing stuff that's mental um, <laughs> and a bit crazy and uh you know, I love doing new writing as well. So I think it's always really exciting to be doing new writing and contemporary stuff. And I was also thinking about um, the night that we finished that and we were at the after party and Gavin left early. And then I remember <laughs> you got a text from him and it was sort of like a text that you'd get, like you'd expect to get when you have your first grandkid. It was sort of a proud text. He had snuck, he had, uh, stuck his head into a shop to get the review on the Sunday Independent, which was coming out the day after we finished. Um, but such is life. Uh, and it said, uh, it said that this play is Glengarry, Glen Ross for the 21st century. I'll give credit where credit is due. She said Glengarry, Glen Ross. She didn't, did she? I think she did, Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And uh, that we had reached physical and emotional perfection. Us together? 
Wow, it's the first time I've ever done that. Um, <laughs> Tell me about it. Man. I, what I, I mean, I, I look at a funny it was, time. It was the most glowing review ever, though. I mean, it was it, it was, was pretty special. Email Kelly's review, and it was it was incredible. She's a big um, angle. Not fan. that I, not that I'd be reading reviews usually, but I just thought that that uh, that was fantastic. We because um, my my recollection of that is obviously trying to work the the combat in because effectively the first hour of that show was a fight scene between me and yeah. you. Um, which is why I cast you because I wanted to punch you in the head a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But we we because might you know, we never actually did considering the amount of. Uh, I I feel like there was one or two times I connected a little bit okay, snug with you right. once or twice. <laughs> and there's one or, one or two ones where to use the pro wrestling term I was working a little bit snug and okay. kind of made a little bit of contact. I looked up in your eyes. It's kind of gone. I'm I'm going to get a receipt for that. There's, <laughs> there's one there's one coming back here now in the next five you minutes. You saw the terror in my eyes. Okay, <laughs> I don't remember that because we were working like not full contact, but there was a lot of contact going on. It wasn't yeah, like standard stage. Well, we had three. I mean three fight specialists come in and we yeah. had a, a Joe professional wrestler yeah. we had a boxer and we had a stage combat yeah. um, and what I yeah relatively injury free I remember I mean it was only a, what did we do eight shows or something it was because it was in the I know it was two weeks theatre festival was oh, it two weeks was it two oh Jesus I don't know um, but relatively short run yeah but we were fairly bruised yeah we got banged up yeah but that's you, good yeah did you have to go to a... I did have to go to physio at one stage when I got <laughs> paralysed down one half of my body in the middle of the show. Yeah, that was quite worrying. That was good fun. That was quite worrying. Because uh, it was literally as we op- as the curtain went up, because oh. the curtain didn't go because we were fucking preset, and I stood up yeah. and I went, oh, I can't feel anything down the left side of my body. Yeah. I now have to do an hour-long fight scene. Dear Lord, please don't let me kill Ian Toner. <laughs> I like him, and he's a good actor with a nice future. Uh, <laughs> so that was the crack. Yeah, no, it was good fun. Uh, I had a good time on that with the wonderful Rachel, too. Um... So tell me this, right? Like, I look around. You're still in your 20s. That's mm-hmm. sickening to me, but thanks. Um, Clinging on there. Good man bit, for dear life. Longer, yeah. um, Dublin, at the moment, for your gang. How tough a place is it to be an actor in Dublin at the moment for your gang in your 20s trying to make it all happen? Is yeah. It, is it heavy going? I think it's definitely getting better. I don't... I mean, I don't know what it was like when you guys came out of straight out of drama yeah. school obviously but I think the see because the bread and butter like this, the stuff that would that would pay your rent is doing those two day gigs on American TV shows that come yeah. in or whatever they can, might pay your rent for a couple of months you know um, and the amount of them that are coming uh, coming in now uh, is crazy there's a lot of that sort of opportunity um, for stuff that will help you survive as an actor. Yeah. I think, you know, there's, there is a lot of actors in Dublin. I don't know proportionately what the difference is between Dublin and London. Yeah. Obviously, London is a bigger pond, but there's a lot of actors over there. Yeah. There's a lot of actors in Dublin too, and it is a much smaller uh, pond. Um, I mean, it's tough. Yeah, it is tough. But acting, acting is tough, you know? <laughs> there's no way around it. It's tough when you're... It's tough when you are working. Yeah. Uh, but it's especially tough when you're not. And... Uh, it is, a, it is a tough one out there because there's so many good people as well mm. you know you kind of wish there weren't but then it also makes it deadly doesn't it when you yeah you get to go see people doing good stuff yeah I mean um, it's, it's a funny one because like I look at the best of times it's a tough old business but mm. it feels like just recently Dublin's getting like a, a tougher place to live Dublin's getting a more expensive place to live well yeah it is. there's um, definitely that there's definitely that the fact that you have to live in Dublin city centre as well to and do this job that doesn't pay you know, yeah, and Dublin overtook London recently as as a more expensive, more expensive place to live. Jesus. Yeah, I think it's uh, as nineteenth must be on world's world's most expensive. I guess it's not Europe. Yeah, nineteenth Dublin is and London's like thirty. Uh, but, but that's because kind of London 
it's really expensive for rent, but everything else can be cheap. But Dublin's a small place, so mm. and and the price of living is very expensive. Um, but that's a separate podcast. <laughs> talking about <laughs> that, yeah. that's when you make your run for a T-shirt, is it? Yeah, it's only another time. <laughs> Let's talk about that another time. But um, I think it's become more feasible to live and have a career in Ireland. Do you? Yeah, I think so. And if if you take the increased price of living yeah. out of things. I think that because the tax breaks here and stuff and there's so many things coming in um, I, I, and, and there's new studios being built mm. and stuff like that, I do think that, that maybe 10 years ago, the prospect of working all the time as an actor and staying here in a career, I, I don't know how feasible that was, but I do think it's feasible now. And it's hard, so, but feasible. But in terms of ambitions then, <clears throat> like, would you be happy to live and work regularly and productively on good shows here in mm. Ireland? Or do you have one eye to London and one eye to New York and to LA and all that? Uh, if No, I mean, if you're, if you're able to um, work on good shows happily and productively, then that's, that's it. I don't think, it doesn't matter a great deal where you are, I don't think. You know, if you're able to do that, it's, it, wherever you are is pretty cool. Yeah. You know, if you're always working in uh, a really good job. Um, so I'll see. I mean, I don't think, I think it's just very hard to plan. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard to plan like three months ahead. You sort of just, rather than planning, you sort of just have to do the work and then allow things to happen and hope for the best. Um, be open to whatever happens. Do you find that the writing then gives you an element of agency over your career? Yeah, that totally. you can go, that you can either create stuff for yourself or fill in spaces or that kind of thing? Totally. Uh, and I think that's what it's about for me and for most actors that, that uh, acting you have to get permission off somebody to act um, you know somebody has to tell you yeah you've got the job you're yeah. going to be allowed to do your acting for a few months and like a day end, release scheme yeah yeah. <laughs> and then at the end of the run they go you're not allowed to do your acting anymore because you need, you need uh, acting can't be done on your own in your room yeah. you know you need uh, an audience you need a director you need other things fundamentally yeah. you need uh, some element of collaboration and it's a collaborative thing and that's what is brilliant about acting as well the collaborative work but um, writing you can do on your own on your bed at 4 o'clock in the morning if you want to do it you can do it anytime you want you can make it as flexible as you want and do it around you know I did like I've written things before because I was doing say well paid gigs or TV gigs where I wasn't always required on set and I'd be writing in my spare time um so it's just very flexible and you can make it work like that. And also, I do think um, about the effect of sort of on, on mental health for actors of, of the waiting game. Yeah. Um, I do worry about it a good bit. I think I've got quite good at dealing with it and having a, a good bit of a sense of a detachment from auditions and stuff. But like if you go for an audition you really want and then you do it and you, you kind of wait for the phone to ring, that's really tough going. And I think because it's, you know, actors don't really have a lot of power. It would be great if we could organize something that I'm not criticizing anybody for like sometimes you do an audition and you don't hear back for six or seven weeks. And I've had that go, but that's successful and unsuccessful yeah. auditions. Um, and that's really hard. That's really hard. And I see actors sometimes just checking their phones all the time or it's a really hard way to live. Yeah. And I do worry about that. Now, it's a kind of a first world problem. I'm aware of that. I think of I read an article Patrick Stewart wrote in The Guardian recently about Brexit and he's very vehemently anti-Brexit and all the comments underneath were like oh poor love it's really hard to be a, really hard to be a Hollywood actor you know but at the same time he's just like yeah he's been he's been successful but he's also just a British man who's very against uh, but I think anytime you um, 
you talk about actor problems it does come across very first world but it like it is it's, you know it's a hard job on people's heads and um i think i don't know it'd be great if it would be great if there was some sort of rules in place where you, you give you give an actor an answer in a certain amount of time yeah. It's funny because we, for this remount of The Goodfathers, the first time in whatever, nearly eight years of Rise that we ever held auditions. We'd never auditioned before. Mm -hmm. And I had said to people, look, I'm going to get back to you within a couple of days. Because like that, I'm usually the one that's hanging out the other end of the phone. And I know you want to treat me well, you know, completely. But, you know, I'm now learning from being at the other side of the the audition table that, you know, you're dealing with agents, you're looking to get contracts, looking to sign off, and it it can get complicated. um, But I mean, an estimate of when a person might hear would be useful as well. Yeah, and yeah, yeah and I, I do. I think I think sometimes people try their best. I think other times people don't give a bollocks and leave people hanging. Yeah. And, and it is. It's very hard because yeah. then eventually you're still like you're kind of going, oh yeah, if that comes through, then next month's rent is going to be okay. And then you bump into your mate at the bar, oh, and he spent, just tells you he's got the gig. Yeah, yeah, you go, you spent all the money. Cool. I'm really, really happy for you that you've got that job. Yeah, you spent all the money in your head, especially when an audition goes well or something. Like <laughs> yeah. You know, you have to, nailed it. This is yeah. definitely for me. It's it, it's tough. Um, I totally I totally do understand. That's not a criticism of of anyone uh it's it, i totally do understand that it is difficult and that there is but i i just think it's some sort of estimate and just some sort of consideration for the yeah. fact that when you're like when an actor comes in it's a privilege for me to come into a room um that and an audition for something that somebody has worked on yeah and they're actually giving me the time of day but i'm also giving them my time and probably if i'm doing an audition for something probably several days of my time yeah that i've spent on it and all actors are you know so i think just it goes both ways yeah a bit of respect for that effort put in in yeah yeah um what excites you about the business or indeed anything else but like what what excites you still um sort of everything about it i still get terribly excited anytime i get a gig i mean if you get a phone call saying you got a gig it's you know um it's pretty good yeah Jonathan Shanky has had me curse down the phone to him a lot when he's rang me and <laughs> to say that I've successfully gotten a gig. Um, yeah, uh, I, I love doing, I suppose, in terms of theatre, I get very excited by doing anything that feels contemporary. I love sort of the more contemporary work. I'm not that, I don't want to say I'm not that interested in, in older classic stuff, but because they can offer interesting things to actors but uh, certainly in, uh, as a as an audience member I, I love seeing contemporary work stuff that feels like it's coming from a contemporary viewpoint in terms of the writer yeah. uh, new writing um, even Look Back in Anger which just feels quite edgy and contemporary because of what the play is even though it's 60 years old um, some people would disagree with me on that I think but um, so I love that sort of more contemporary stuff which I, the, the, is, is difficult in Dublin because there's, there's, Dublin it is hard to put that stuff on Mm-hmm. Um, because it is a smaller city than London. So in London, there's enough of every demographic. Yeah. So if you put on a show that's for 20 to 30-year-olds, there's enough 20 to 30-year-olds uh, who go to the theatre to do it. But just in Lon- in Dublin, the 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 age group and the demographic is, is, is different. And I don't... Conservative is not like a word I really like um, because I don't think they are conservative as such the people that go to the Abbey and the Gate and stuff like that I don't know if that's the right um, it might be fair enough yeah I think they're probably the less the less conservative end of that age spectrum yeah do, 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 do you know what yeah. I mean um, and I think they're quite open to stuff and like they come see Look Back in Anger and a lot of them came up after the bar and t- talked to me about it or even, even just say well done and stuff and that's a challenging that is a challenging night out that yeah. is not a song and dance <laughs> uh, sort of 
number, you know, it's it's not an entertaining evening. And I think I can understand what, yeah, I can understand why people just want to be entertained um, yeah. as well. As, as I think as well, I think what I, I like to do as a, an, what I like to see as an audience member, what I like to write and what I like to act in, in are all different. They're not necessarily the same things. I really? Think. Yeah, I don't think so. I think as, as a writer, I tend to lean more towards, like I don't necessarily, I don't think it's something I aspire to be Tom Murphy or Marina Carras or uh, even though I would love to act in their plays or love yeah. seeing them I don't really I'm not trying to be self-deprecating I don't really feel like that's my my. I don't feel like I have the natural ability for that anyway but okay. I think the stuff that I'd like to write is probably more kind of to a certain extent good night out stuff or, yeah. but in terms of the acting um, I, I, you know if I got off or look back in angers all the time it would be great but they're also hard they're, yeah they're hard on your brain. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they're great to do, but uh, they, they take a lot out of you. It, like the ideal, I think, for me, the ideal career would be like, you get a look back in anger or punk rock once a year, as well as some other stuff that maybe is more. Punk rock is that production of punk rock that Selena did, which was Jimmy's opening salvo in the lyric. Yeah. Is the best piece of theatre I've ever seen. Wow. Even though you were in it, which is quite remarkable. Wow. Um... But that's that's for real. It's the best thing I've ever seen. Had you a good time on that? Uh, yeah, it was amazing. And actually, I don't like a lot of people have said um, a lot of people say similar things about that production. That it was a special production. I think it felt like a special production. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, it's again, that's like that's a Simon Stevens play. I think it was written in two thousand and nine, uh, and like that's a hard piece of work. And yeah. the character I was playing was really heavy he was it was set in a school he was a school bully but as selena said it's more greek tragedy than grange hill i think is how she described it um so it was a really heavy piece of work and like like audition or rehearsals for that were hard yeah um there's things that you had to do in it because there's this like there was a scene in where i spat in one of the girl's faces um and the first time you do that that's a very strange thing when you're walking home from rehearsals and you're finished being the character and you're it's a strange. It's just a strange headspace to occupy. At the yeah. end of the day, as well, if I th- I think it wouldn't be good if you could detach from that too much and say, "Well, that's just my job." Okay. It doesn't feel good to be doing that stuff, but it's where you need to go to as well. Yeah. Um, and that was the first time. I mean, obviously, Kara spits in her face every night as well. It was like it was like a heavy, heavy place to be. And just the things you have to say and do to the characters and always be in that headspace. You have to be coming from that. You have to be justifying it because you're that character. Mm. You have to find a way to justify it. So there's plenty of times after that. Um, after rehearsals for that where I'd go home and like just sit, sit in bed for the rest of the evening and think about what you've done and think about what I've done it was essentially that you know it's like the play doesn't make you feel good but I think I've heard an actor I think I heard Aaron Monaghan say it before and I think it was a really succinct way of saying it it might have been on here um, that good plays fuck you up a little bit and mm. I think that's kind of true when you do those really good writers or you do something like that or Tom Murphy or something that they, they take a bit out of you you know yeah. Um, and I don't know some actors do them all the time <laughs> yeah some actors really do go from those heavy dramatic roles but I think you'd be surprised like I was surprised with Look Back in Anger because um, I had had the experience of punk rock I was surprised when Look Back in Anger I actually didn't find the rehearsals that hard but okay. the performance was quite hard quite heavy um, I found um because I don't know during the performance maybe it was quite a long run during the performance I had to just keep working up 
the the energy to go out and fight Jimmy's corner every night, yeah. which is really hard to do. Um, but punk rock was yeah, it was just beautiful. Like there was amazing energy to that show. It was I it was like the second show I had done out of drama school uh, with a lot of guys who just graduated from the Lear, like the Friday before we started rehearsing, yeah. something ridiculous. Um, and really very inexperienced cast but cast like Selena cast it so well mm. um, that yeah yeah it was cool it was great and it was just it just feels like it always feels like a special show so it's like a show I'm incredibly proud of so as you look ahead then mm. not 20 years down the road but even 5 years down the road uh, where, like what do you want where would you like to be as you as you look ahead is it you know a balance of what you've been doing so far pushing mm. the writing a bit more mm. bit more film and TV what's what would what would you be happy with as you yeah. look ahead again that comes down to that planning thing that yeah. I'm not really comfortable with I think you're setting yourself up for um, not disappointment but your plans are going to go awry like if you're trying to plan in this in this career too much I would like to write like I've actually avoided writing stuff for myself um, and I would like to do that more um, and I would like to write more plays. I am going to write another. I am going to at least try and write another couple of plays in the next year or two. Um, and I'd like to write like short films and stuff like that, and start just trying that out. Um, I've avoided writing stuff for myself because, uh, well, if I wrote like a one-man show for myself and say I got a director to direct it, that director would not be able to tell me what to do with that script. <laughs> um, and I'm just not sure if I want... Like, for me, doing a play, rehearsals are the best... Well, yeah, rehearsals are one of the most interesting parts. They're the most interesting part of, in, of, of figuring out what the writer's trying to say. Uh, and also, when you're doing a play, you assume that the writer is infallible. You're like, oh, what do they mean here? What's the writer mean? I mean? The writer might might have written that sentence in like thirty seconds and not not really have thought about it, but you yeah. might put hours of thought into that sentence because yeah. you assume the writer was really. And when you write something yourself, you know that you're a, you know you're a joker. <laughs> so uh, so I've kind of avoided doing that because I actually don't think that the rehearsal process of doing something that I've written myself yeah. would be that interesting to me, um, because I wouldn't be investigating it to try and figure out what the writer was trying to say. Basically, I'd already oh, know. With you. Yeah. Um, so. I've written stuff for other people so I would like to maybe try that out at some stage but I might like to do that maybe with film stuff because there's no rehearsal process yeah there you go um, so um, so definitely writing I think like I see writing as, as something that I want, I want to lean more heavily into the writing um, I love the process of it um, and I think acting being interpretive and collaborative and writing being introspective and non-collaborative is just a very interesting combo if you can get to do both yeah and stretch your brain like that um, but I don't know yeah just kind of keep keep letting stuff happen and hope for the best fingers crossed um, keeps yeah, taking over yeah hopefully a few more look back in angers or punk rocks they don't, they don't or at the, Fords. at the Fords at the Fords but yeah a few more at the Fords as well love love those like those shows those sort of shows that you have a really good time on that are, that are new writing as well and all that stuff you know um, that's what you want Tell me then, finally, what's the one magical ingredient you either want from a show you go and see or a show you're in? How do you know if it's clicking? What makes it special? Mm, that's, um, that's a toughie. What makes it special? I think yes, that's so hard when you're doing a show 
you don't know it's special mm. until there's an audience there. Mm. So maybe it's the audience. Because <laughs> um, it's so, like that, uh, uh, the most exciting time of a, of, a, of a play, in fact, is that week of previews going into opening, I think, when you're figuring it out. And like the first night, the first night I've looked back in anger and punk rock, I was playing through really heavy characters in both mm. of them and feeling that feeling from the audience, or like tangibly feeling that sense of hatred from the audience. Um, as opposed to just your daily life as opposed to just daily life when you don't have well in daily life you don't have like 300 people sitting there looking at you going I wish this guy would shut up or (laughs) fall off the stage or get shot Um, so yeah I suppose that's that's sort of it I don't know I think I'm still trying to figure that out and it's different in everything as well I suppose if you if you knew maybe it would if you knew what the magical ingredient was you'd be too busy looking for it yeah um because it's different it's just different every show i i don't know like when traditionally actors talked about processes and stuff i don't know if that's possible because it's just not going to work from a show Mm. i'm always surprised always surprised by different things that happen during different shows the the different things i find easy by the different things i find hard um you know as i said like the difference between punk rock rehearsals being really hard and look back in anger performance being really hard um, so yeah you're always surprised by it in terms of what I go to see I suppose just feeling that there's some there's some sort of connection with the story that I'm watching and that's why I think I love contemporary stuff because I think it's I think I think something needs to be coming from a contemporary uh, voice it can be the director's voice as well mm. uh, as the writer's voice too in order for us to connect with you know I think that it's hard if you put on a play and present it traditionally it's hard to connect with it you might enjoy it but on a, mm. in a sort of different way um, so yeah I like it Tamara it has been an absolute pleasure to have you in I am delighted to have you on the podcast thank you for having me um, you're a wonderful dude I look forward to working with you for many more years to come and also write me into one of your plays please I will that uh, bind, oh, binding oh. contract <laughs> absolutely binding contract it might not get produced but I'll <laughs> so there you have it the great Ian Toner so wonderful to get to sit down and hang out with Ian uh, a guy I've got so much time for as we said there in the chat we uh, we got stuck into it and at the Ford I had such a great time working with him I thought he was perfectly cast in that show really really great job he did on it but he threw himself into that fight choreography uh, just as much as I did we we went for it it was like as you know as, as he mentioned you know uh, Cahill Redmond my old boxing coach from Fight Night we brought in to work some stuff with us and Joe Cabray who runs OTT Wrestling who's a former WWE wrestler came in to choreograph a lot of that fight and, and the thing with you know pro wrestling is it's always in the round so it's not like stage combat where you can cheat angles and make no contact we were making contact uh, we laid it in a little snug once or twice um, it was fun it was beautiful we had a really good time on that and uh, as well as I'd worked with Ian in the past to get to work with him that one was really great I felt like we really bonded on that one and, and had a really great time he is a super guy I have an awful lot of time for him and thankfully his career has gone from strength to strength I think he's someone you're going to be seeing an awful lot more of in the years to come and so that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of the theatrical goings on around the country at the Abbey Theatre they still have the unmanageable sisters from D. Kinahan at the Gate Theatre they now have the Rape of Lucrece at the Gaiety they have Boom and that's going to be followed by Postcards from the Ledge featuring the brilliant Rory Nolan um, at the O'Reilly Theatre they have Grief is the Thing with Feathers starring the magnificent Killian Murphy uh, heading over to the board gosh they have Matilda coming up which I have already purchased my tickets for I saw it in the West End a couple of years ago and 
I cannot wait to bring my seven-year-old to go and see that. It's one of her favourite books. I think she's going to have a very happy night at the theatre. Uh, at Theatre Upstairs, they have lyrics uh, from uh, Tom Moran, starring himself and Danny Galligan. At the New Theatre, they have Sally Denver Matthews, and that is going to be followed by Nora. At the Pavilion in Dunleary, they have Druid's production of Waiting for Godot, which is just exceptional. If you haven't seen it, get yourself a ticket. The Viking in Clontarf, where we will be bringing The Good Father fairly soon. They have Love in the Wild at the moment. And at the Dolman Theatre, where we will also be bringing The Good Father, because let's face it, there's very few venues we're not coming to. Uh, they have 47 Roses coming up soon from the brilliant Peter Sheridan. Um, at Bewley's Cafe Theatre, they have My Left Nut at the moment. And then in Temple Bar at Project Arts Centre, the phenomenal tryst from the brilliant Sickle Moon. Uh, that's a show that you really must go out of your way to go and see. It is spectacularly good. One of my favourite shows of the last few years. And then a look around the country, heading south to Cork, to the Everyman. They have private lives and also the importance of nothing. Heading west to the Town Hall in Galway. They have Toria coming up, and that is going to be on tour around the country. Keep an eye out for that, starring the brilliant Liz Fitzgibbon. Uh, at the Lime Tree in Limerick, they have Under the Bed, and up north in Lyric in Belfast, they have We'll Walk Hand in Hand and Dr. Scroggy's War, and that will be followed by the Colleen Bond. So, that is us. That is episode 21 in the books. We will, of course, be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. But in the meantime, this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Og McAnally, I'm Angus Og McAnally. We'll see you next week. <laughs>